If this is your first time tuning into our podcast, I interview and share stories, trading strategies, and more from some of the most inspiring traders around the world. Our guest today is Brandon Beavis, one of Canada's top finance YouTubers and founder of the Investing Academy. Brandon started his YouTube channel with the goal of sharing the investing knowledge he learned while working as a financial advisor in wealth management. In addition to being a full-time creator, entrepreneur, and dad, he's now also a strategic advisor for Blossom, an app that helps Canadians become smarter investors. If you're ready to dive into this conversation with Brandon, please remember to smash the like button and subscribe for more. And we have right over here, Brendan Beavis. Welcome. Hey. Yeah, we chatted over the years so for like what last three years. Finally, we have a video out together. Well, I remember the first time we met in person at the Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember. I remember. And this is back when you said you didn't have too many. You said I don't have any other YouTuber friends, but we ended up yeah. we, we ended up being close neighbors. So yeah, you were one of my first YouTuber friends, but oh. first podcast for sure. Um, I don't oh. do I don't do podcasts very often. Really, I feel honored. Oh, okay. So we probably have a lot of viewers who don't know who you are yet. So if you could kind of tell people about who you are, what do you do, and how, what's your involvement in the stock market? Um, so yeah, my name is Brandon. Um, I run a YouTube channel. It's probably my biggest online presence. I was actually one of the first Canadians to do it mm. a number of years back. I think it was 2016 or 2017 that I started. Oh, wow. So that's like time flies. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that like six how many years is that six years now seven six years yeah at least over five years i'm just like uh-huh. that's quite a while but mm-hmm. yeah back at the time there weren't too many um youtubers uh, there were the big american ones mm-hmm. but not a crazy bunch here in the canadian market yeah and i had pursued a career working with my father in the mm-hmm. investment space mm. so i had all got my licensing yada 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 and i'm thinking oh this is some pretty valuable information that like my For friends sure. should know about at the time i was thinking like millennials should know about mm-hmm. and um I was like, this might be a good chance to do a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh, gone, I'd say, decently well. Uh, we're one of the larger like investing-focused YouTube channels mm-hmm. in Canada. And uh, yeah, I would I would say that's kind of my main claim to fame, if you will, the, mm. the Brandon Beavis Investing YouTube channel. And now I actually work with my dad. So if you looked at my channel now, there's myself and then my father, mm-hmm. who now works with me on the, the digital sphere. Oh, so before you started making content, you were working in the investment space. Tell us a little bit uh, what you were working on with your dad. Yeah, so my dad had a basically a wealth management firm, okay. an independent firm. So basically, you could obviously go, if you want to get your money managed, you can go to the big banks, go work uh-huh. with an advisor. He kind of had his own little practice, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of benefits doing it on your own because you're not really tied to what the bank tells you to do. Yeah. You can don't have to push certain products, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> For sure. Um, so I did find that attractive. And obviously, being my father, there was a good opportunity for me to work there. Mm-hmm. So pretty early on, I mean, I was licensed when I was 20. Like I was like mm. actually got my licensing done by age 20. And I mean, I think a lot of my friends at the time weren't really thinking about that type of thing. Yeah. So I felt very young. I felt actually out of place at the time. But the plan was to go work for him, kind of learn the ropes. Mm-hmm. And I did that for four years. And it was a, it was a good experience. Um, mm-hmm. Clearly, it helped set my foundation for my knowledge. Yeah. Um, Obviously, it wasn't the end goal. His end goal would have been that I took over the firm, yeah, right? It's like, yeah, oh, I'll yeah. raise my son, take over the firm, and pass it down, pass it the down. family. And you I know? totally see that too, because like if I had, you know, spent years, he he was in the space for I think twenty eight years before he retired. Mm-hmm. Um, so he spent you know long long time building up his his business, 
and I can definitely see it's logical to want to pass it down. Yeah. But I kind of had my own ideas and I told him very early on, I'm like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Like mm. managing the firm. Yeah. Um, managing other people's other people's money. Yeah. yeah. And and I think a big reason for that was his clientele was quite I don't want to say old or like old people, you know, <laughs> like but they were certainly older than me. Right. Right. Okay. And you know, you think now I'm twenty eight, but when when you're like a twenty year old you know, going to sit in the, with these meetings and you're mm. trying to essentially instruct people what to do with their money. Yeah. It's such a big age gap. There's yeah. like the respect and credibility thing, rightly so. And I definitely felt out of place. And had I stuck to it, I'm sure it just would have gotten better and better. Yeah. But from very early on, I was like, I want to come here and learn the knowledge, absorb as much as I can. Mm -hmm. But then I knew I wanted to go do my own thing. So oh. I think that's kind of the, the short, brief history there. And then obviously I went and did YouTube after. So for, for these kind of more mature and wise yeah. clients, um, what were some of the things you helped them do? Or like what kind of recommendations, what advice were you giving them? Yeah, good question. So my dad was actually licensed, basically, it's a bit different now, but this goes back, you know, I guess seven, eight, nine years ago. Mm. But um, essentially when you're licensed as an advisor here in Canada, you can be kind of like mutual fund licensed or IROC licensed, essentially okay. able to buy and sell securities. Oh. So my dad was on the security side, okay. which was actually very, very beneficial for me because like there's a lot of you know licensed advisors yeah. that um, you know you go to the bank, you go talk to a quote unquote licensed advisor and they just pop you into mutual funds. Yeah. And really, I mean, with all due respect, some of them don't even know what the heck they're doing. Yeah. My dad didn't, originally when he started, you know, however many years ago, he was selling mutual funds, but he then converted over to being able to build a portfolio of securities. So uh -huh. equities, ETFs, Okay. right? Um, so essentially what he would do is a client would come in, let's say they just sold their business for a million dollars, sometimes more, sometimes less. They'd come in with a big chunk of cash, they'd have all their goals, whatever the case is, and my dad would be the one to essentially formalize a plan and then actually invest the money on their behalf. Okay. And we did it for the most part, all of individual stocks. Mm. So yes, ETFs would be incorporated, but uh, building the portfolio, you know, kind of like what I learned a lot from him was how to manage a portfolio of stocks and how to mm. properly craft, craft and create one. And then obviously monitor it with time because that's so important. And then ultimately what happened, you know, in the later part of his career, he ended up being what's called a portfolio manager. Yeah. So that is actually a different designation. You have to, you know, get additional oh. yeah so there's like advisors then there's portfolio managers um and essentially he ended up crafting up certain funds similar to how let's say kathy arc has their different funds right Arc you're talking, Innovation. talking about kathy wood okay sorry oh. did i say kathy arc <laughs> well his arc innovation there you fund. go so yes i understand kathy what Wood, excuse about. me yeah, yeah kathy woods arc funds excuse uh -huh. me but she has arc innovation yada yada we had oh. like we had like the bwm growth fund the bwm bwm balance fund beavis wealth management was the was the oh i see exactly so oh. then so towards the end of his career rather than managing let's say 50 or 100 different clients individually, uh -huh. he was managing set portfolios that people would essentially buy into. Oh, what kind of stocks or assets are in those portfolios? The obviously the the funds. good, really good question. Yeah, depends on what the objective of the funds were. Oh, I see. Um, but you would get a lot of overlap. Uh, we primarily focused on like long term big blue chip yeah. equities. So okay. not the small caps, nothing too exciting. Because again, <laughs> you think about what the clientele was. These are people that had just sold their business. And, yeah. you know, like I said, maybe mid or later in life and they kind of wanted to be more conservative, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, across the board, you'd hold you know the big banks, uh, the okay. energy companies, tech stocks, US, Canada, some international okay. companies, but basically kind of the big popular stocks that you'd see held across everywhere. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
Do you remember the first stock you ever bought? Was it for yourself or for your clients? For myself. For yourself. For I yourself. do. Okay. I do. Yeah. So it was a it's a fun story. It's kind of part of my story because I bought oh. my first stocks when I was like ten or eleven years old. Oh wow! People, some people so don't believe young. it. Yeah, it's like not many people are buying stocks that early. Obviously, that's a benefit of having a dad who's a financial advisor. Yeah. Wow. But I do remember that the first two stocks were Coca Cola and McDonald's. Okay. And I still own them to the, to this day. I'm sure I've sold off portions of them, but I believe in my portfolios. I still own both. But yeah, I remember my dad came home one day. And obviously he's trying to get me into investing yeah. kind of get me just just get me absorbed into the space uh, and he came home with like a big sheet of paper and it had a bunch of company lists like company names tickers numbers Wait, on paper on a paper like he printed out a piece of paper <laughs> and he sat me and my brother down and okay you know at the time like i'm like what the heck am i looking at and yeah obviously like in hindsight what it was was essentially just like a he was a screener and just had a bunch of stocks that he thought oh. were trading at a fair fair value or a okay. fair price it's like companies like disney like companies that we would rec like recognize yeah. a lot of them i didn't recognize but um yeah he essentially let us pick what stocks we mm. wanted just to get us involved like it wasn't okay. so much to make a great return and hey over the years they have made a great return because yeah. that was like what 20 years ago yeah but um yeah essentially the stocks that i picked was mcdonald's and coca-cola because yeah. i knew them and yeah, yeah. i like going to mcdonald's like drinking cokes whatever as a kid yeah, like anyone yeah. else but uh, yeah, he ended up buying those for us like on our mm. behalf. You kind of had like a separate account that was called an Entrust for account. So you obviously can't open an investing account when you're like mm -hmm. 10 or 11. No. But there's a thing called an Entrust for account here in Canada. And then when you turn of age, that transfers into my name. Oh. And I remember that very vividly because I got a whole bunch of money into my account. Oh, it, was, nice. it was my money, but yeah, exactly. So you you unintentionally started with dividend investing. There you go. Coca-Cola and McDonald's. Exactly. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I sure did. So. So now after so many years, so obviously when you were 10, so now 20, almost 20 years later, yeah. do you still resonate more with dividend investing or growth investing or like a combination? I'd say a combination, but it's okay. funny, like that boring style that was a kind of like shown to me at that age mm -hmm. is still what I like today. Mm -hmm. you know, stocks like Coca-Cola and McDonald's are a little bit on the conservative side for me right now, yeah. but they're not out of the realm of what I would invest in mm. because I think what the the principle of what my dad was trying to teach me was that you know when you own stocks as an investor you, you really have to think like a business owner you really have to understand like hey what is these quality companies out there yeah. that you can take part in and own mm. and obviously coke and uh, mcdonald's are prime examples uh, even today like the companies i aim for are like of that caliber mm. and most of them happen to pay dividends dividends oh, okay. so it's not that i would ever classify myself as strictly a dividend investor uh -huh. or strictly a growth investor in fact when people ask me like i would say i'm a hybrid investor okay because i like having components of both i have a lot mm. of stocks that don't pay dividends but a lot of stocks that do and i think like what i was getting at was by nature if you're looking at a quality company that's been around for x number of years mm -hmm. a lot of them do pay a dividend they're at a later yeah. point in their maturity and whatnot so oh. yeah it's it's not that i would only pick stocks for dividends but a lot of them just by nature like a byproduct do have a dividend okay yeah so how often do you manage your own portfolio now very not often yeah, so you're like a very <laughs> passive investor yeah i mean because i do own stocks it'd be one thing if it was etf so there you go mm -hmm. hands off yeah but because i do own uh, i think about 20 something individual stocks okay I do like it today. I was looking at the earnings reports for Brookfield, one of my holdings, mm. but more so out of interest sake, right? Okay. My goal is to pick companies where I don't, A, don't have to be looking at them every day. Mm -hmm. B, don't even have to be looking at them for when they report earnings. Like if, let's assume I'm going to own a company like Brookfield today, which I actually just bought more of this week. 
if this is a stock that I plan to hold over 20, 30 years, like realistically 30 years, yeah. let's say retirement age, what happens today, what happens this month, what happens next year, mm-hmm. for the most part will not matter. Mm. So the more that I can kind of step back and take my hands off of things, the better in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah. That's how I like to structure my investments. So yeah, I'm certainly not looking at it uh, every single day. Good, good, yeah. <laughs> That'll stress me out. I, I invest too, even though I'm a trader. And I would say for most of my investments, I, I pretty much never There's no point. take a look. I don't look at earnings. I don't, well, I do yeah. when I'm trading them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for like my for investment long term, like, it's, it's irrelevant. Unless yeah. it's something so, so material that you're like, okay, well, this is actually gonna change something. And yeah. at that point, you'll probably hear about it, right? You'll probably hear mm-hmm. about it on the news if a yeah. company's merging with this, this or that. But if they miss or beat their earnings by X amount, it's like more or less irrelevant mm-hmm. for the time frame that we would have as long, further your long-term investing portfolio. Yeah, right? okay. So have you always been like a long-term investor? Have mm-hmm. you ever dabbled in trading at all? No. Never ever? No. Oh, wow. It's so funny because I know so many people when they come to the stock market, that's yeah. the first thing they go to. They it's usually like, start with like swing trading or they something. They usually start with trading. That's what draws them in like that quicker cash. And mm. maybe that was just due to my dad getting me started so young. Like mm-hmm. if you think about it, at 10 or 11, I was already being primed to just buy and hold. Yeah. Right? Buy a company, buy and hold is boring. It, you know, I'm not like... Uh, I like doing fun things. Like I like speculating in many other areas of my life, oh, okay. but never the stock market. That was never an interest for me. Oh. I, I'll go to the casino, I'll sports bet, I like doing sports gambling. Like I have my fun and I definitely oh. gamble in certain areas, but the stock market has just been like sectioned off or it's yeah. like, that's just not where I do it. The that stock is market so is funny because I never, I've never gambled in the casino before. Yeah, you I've do in the stock in. market and, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every day. <laughs> like I walked in, but I've never been, you know, motivated in, enough to put, even put in like $10 or I, I never place any, I don't know. Like I watch my friends play. Yeah. I don't know how to play any of the, 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 the games. You just put the money in and then do the things. And oh, the, what's that thing called? Slots? Yeah. Slots is easy, but. I don't but think I've done that either. There's card games. Yeah. That's interesting because yeah, huh. I mean, a lot of people would consider, you know, especially if you're uneducated, you go to the stock market, it's basically gambling in, yeah. in many respects. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously when you're educated and you know what you're doing, that changes the dynamic, mm-hmm. but it's funny, it's, yeah, you think, and it's similar for me, like I also section them off too, like, yeah. but we're the opposites. Yeah, it stresses me out, the stock market, it stresses me out if I'm looking at it too, if, if I've got too much money in there and I'm trying to do something over the short <laughs> term, that stresses me out. Oh, okay. So when you finally started investing on your own, when you're adults, right, you, you mm. said when you turn 18 or 19, yeah. the account is now yours solely. Um, do you just then like how do you what's your process like when selecting stocks for you to buy and hold knowing that you're gonna hold it for the next 10 20 years and has that philosophy changed over the last couple of years yeah it's definitely changed i mean mm-hmm. that's the thing i mean I, i'm obviously still learning right yeah um, you never master picking stocks mm-hmm. uh, even the greatest out there make mistakes you, like i don't think you'd ever have a perfect process that you can just stick to for your whole life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, over the years, it's definitely changed. And as I learn more and more, I just adapt. Okay. But I mean, fundamentally, I mean, I could go on for an hour about what I look for in a stock. Okay. So that would be probably a bit long, but um, yeah, very high level. I mean, geez, I, I don't even have a, a checklist, so to speak. Like mm-hmm. I know a lot of people ask, well, what's the checklist? Like, what, yeah. do you, what do you look for? But my main takeaways would be essentially finding, like I said, a good business to start. Like that's like, essentially if you looked at like a Warren Buffett approach on 
on stock market. Uh-huh. That's kind of where I base a lot of my beliefs off of. Okay. Uh, I do lean more value valueish as well, more value investing mm-hmm. style, if anything. But yeah, it starts with just like a identifying a stock that I think is a, a good business. Mm-hmm. And there's many ways you can categorize that, like yeah. you know, Moat, uh, who's running the company. Mm. Obviously, the numbers you can look at how they're growing and whatnot. There's a million like fundamental metrics you can look at, and then you got to marry that up with the price and whether it's looking attractive at the moment. Mm -hmm. Because I always have my watch list of stocks of however many stocks that I would ideally love to own, but most of them I don't own. Like that's kind of the fun of a watch list is Mm -hmm. I have all these stocks like, hey, this would be great, this would be great, but um, yeah, it's different than people that say, well, I I love Tesla, so I'm gonna go buy Tesla. I love Apple, I'm gonna go buy Mm. Apple. I may love all those companies, but I'll wait till I find a price that I think is attractive enough for the long term. I and, see. And that's where I guess, I mean, there's a million resources I could use to help identify that. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a big patient waiting game. And there's like been a lot of scenarios where there's been a stock I've been monitoring for years, like literally years. Mm. And then it's like finally at a point where I'm like, oh, like let's say they have a 40% sell off for whatever reason. Oh, now's the time. I see. I think I want to own this. The company's still great. The company's still going to do well over the you know, next 20 years. Mm. But it's about being a little bit pickier with the entry, I guess you may say. Okay, I see. Is, is my approach. Oh, interesting. So a list of stocks and watch this mm-hmm. that you want to buy at some point, as long as they hit the price level that you're looking at. Possibly. Like, what? has to be an attractive. Like, are you looking at PE ratios? All or, of that, yeah. Oh, exactly, okay. exactly. And I would say that that's one factor too, right? Another thing to consider, like, uh-huh. do I already own X? Like, if I look at my portfolio, I already have X amount of tech stocks, or X amount of telecom stocks mm-hmm. as much as i may want another one it may not make sense relative to the overall portfolio okay so that's one thing too and then obviously you can go crazy in terms of like buying stocks and then before mm-hmm. you know you have 30 40 50 stocks that's unreasonable and un- unmanageable mm-hmm. as well okay so there's there's the actual independent you could look at the stock in and of itself and say is this a good buy yes or uh-huh. no and then you kind of look at it from like a portfolio management standpoint and says how and say how does this fit into my portfolio does it even oh. fit in there and together those kind of you come to a conclusion like i said there's no like i wish there was a checklist that i could just say yes or no mm-hmm. but it's like kind of a dance around all these pieces and then sometimes they make it in sometimes they don't like you look at a weighting and allocation as well that's an allocation oh, exactly I think my in investment portfolio is probably like 90 percent tech growth there you go probably well hey maybe yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe that works for you and again maybe it's the traditional background i come from uh-huh. but if a client came into our our practice and had a million dollars from a business uh-huh. and they were 90 percent in tech like we'd get our heads chopped off. Right. So that's too that's aggressive. Too, too far too right. aggressive. Again, for I most, see. I mean, maybe yeah. for some, maybe it's not. Mm. But being very conscious of the different sectors and not just being diversified for the sake of being diversified, yeah. but obviously during different economic periods, certain sectors tend to outperform, underperform. Yeah. Being able to like massage that, right? You kind of have like a base allocation, if you will, and then you can manipulate that and massage that. Mm. But in theory, the goal is to, like, and again, it gets back to what I talked about earlier where like, I don't want to be checking my portfolio every mm-hmm. day. Yeah. If I structure my portfolio in such a way that it is so properly diverse, whatever happens over the next six months, year, like mm-hmm. there's a war over here or this president's here, it doesn't really, it shouldn't really matter, mm-hmm. right? If you're owning high quality companies in the right amounts relative to each other, yeah. it's like a kind of future-proofing your, future-proofing your portfolio kind of thing. Do you think, it's possible to be too overly overly diversified that you get so average returns. 
Absolutely. If you want to be that diversified, just buy the index. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's 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 a, such a fair argument. Yeah. I think my take on it is that the more convicted you are on a particular stock or yeah. sector, even let's say tech, for example, uh -huh. or Tesla, whatever your favorite stock is. Mm -hmm. I mean, the more you diversify, the less returns you may receive. Right. Yeah, You're basically sure. like, yeah. it's a, it's a safer way of playing it. And there absolutely is a, a tipping point where there's too much right? Diver mm -hmm. diversification. I think when you have an investor who really knows what they're doing, mm -hmm. so the more, I guess, educated they are, if, if I saw their portfolio and they had, let's say like five stocks, a, a quite concentrated portfolio, mm -hmm. to me that shows that they have very high conviction in such and such stocks. Yeah, It could also be crazy if they don't know what they're doing, yeah. but somebody that, uh, the more convicted you are, and often the more educated you are, mm -hmm. the fewer stocks you can hold, right? Yeah. You, you take fewer bets and you make mm -hmm. bigger bets, mm -hmm. and often the reward is bigger. Yeah. But for the average person, I mean, one thing people, like, it's funny, when people come to me and say, oh, you have a YouTube channel, da da da, you must be an extra expert. Mm -hmm. I'm 28, there's no, never claim to be an expert. Yeah. I'm just trying to be your average person who does like investing in stocks. Mm -hmm. And again, for my lifestyle, I prefer that more diversified, easygoing mm -hmm. approach. Yeah, more uh, passive. More passive, well. more hands off, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because again, I don't want to be, as involved mm. um, as maybe some people do. So the portfolio you have now, your investment portfolio, how long did it take for you to build up to this point? And have you sold any stocks since I, then? I definitely sold stocks and okay. not as often as buying stocks. Like I buy okay. way more stocks than I sell, but over the years, of course you sell stocks. Mm -hmm. And I remember even, you know, I think it was a couple years ago, you know, I had to buy a home. I wanted, oh, I wanted to buy right, a home right, and I didn't right. have to buy a home. Okay. I wanted to buy a townhouse and yeah. like, you know the price of homes here. So yeah, I had to look to my TFSA, that's where I decided. So I actually like wiped it all out to put towards a down payment. Oh. So, I mean, that was a very sad day because I had been building <laughs> on my TFSA for years and you know, it's like your little prize, little mm -hmm. possession. And then, um, but I needed to come up with the money. So I've sold mm -hmm. that and I'm working on rebuilding that up. But yeah, I mean, I've been, been technically building my portfolio since I started investing when yeah. I was young. Obviously the dollar figures, like when I say I started when I was 10 or 11, like they're so marginal that it's like not even worth yeah, of course. laughing at, but like it's 10, like 25, 20. it's literally okay. 25 bucks, whatever yeah. it is. Um, but I think it is important to get into that habit and doing that over years and years and years and years. But uh, yeah, more recently, I mean, obviously I take it more seriously. Actually right now is a really tricky point um, because mm -hmm. interest rates have gone so high and then stupid yeah. me on variable uh, mortgage no. freaking oh no you don't even want to know yeah. the mortgage rate so like i mean my my mortgage is like more than doubled in the past year and a bit yeah and basically i mean i was paying 3500 dollars a month for my mortgage originally uh -huh. which is like already okay that's a good good chunk yeah yeah now it's up at like 7000 something oh, per God. month so you can imagine oh. how stressful that is. And can like, you write off some of the interest? For my house, no. The, I do have a rental condo too, which that one obviously you can. But you work from home. But I don't really work from home. Oh, but you don't? Yeah, for my, town, oh, for my townhouse, that's my, that's my home home. I do have an mm. office as well. I see. Um, so that obviously, I do separate them. Uh -huh. I guess you could argue I do, I do stuff at home. So there you go, maybe give me some ideas. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so what I was pointing again there is like, it's not fun getting your mortgage rates doubled like there's a huge strain on your cash flow yeah, for sure so what's actually been sad is over the past little while i've been putting less and mo less money into my investments i've been trying to pay down the mortgage faster mm. because actually what i'm doing like i'm paying you know are you on a variable mortgage no no. Okay, well, good good choice. <laughs> because basically I could be paying less and then just it just extends my amortization period like forever. Like it literally uh -huh. would be hundred plus years. And oh. essentially never pay off the yeah, the term of the mortgage would essentially just go on and on and mm -hmm. on. You're essentially just paying yeah. interest, interest, interest. And that was something I didn't I, I could do 
and just like rent from the bank, if you will. Mm. But it's just, it makes no sense to me. So I've, in fact, not only kept up my normal amortization period, like I've increased my my mortgage payments so that oh. it still pays over the normal time. I've even gone beyond that because I want to pay it down faster. Oh, I see. And that's just due to the fact that interest rates are, it's a guaranteed return if I do that. Yeah. Um, and the stock market right now, I mean, even right now, it, it's a bit uh, unsure of what the mm. shorter term holds at least. Right. But it sucks. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. What 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 would it be like if you switch from variable to fixed right now? Right now, I could, but I don't think I'd want to do that. Oh. Uh, they, they, I think that's six percent fixed. You right certainly now. could. I think that's probably yeah, about the range five. it is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm fine with just doing variable going okay. forward. I feel like the suckers the suckers get scared at the top and then they <laughs> they, they want to lock in the face. Is that what you did? <laughs> it's, no, 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 no. I I uh, yeah no. I, I never went on variable. Smart. Right, but but yeah, no. Yeah. It's like I remember seeing like literally the bank called me. This was maybe a few months ago, but they called me and said like, oh, do you want to lock in your rate? You know, do you want to fix your rate? Da 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 I da. da. I'm like, why are you calling me to fix my rate? Like, I don't need you to like, it, it, got, me, it got me suspicious, right? I'm I mean, a financial YouTuber. Yeah. I know what I'm talking about. I'm like, I'm thinking if you want me to fix my rate at this percent here, like, I mean, they're doing it because I think it's in their best in interest. They, they mm. want, they're trying to make as much interest as possible. And if they're going out calling everybody um, to go fix their rates, yeah, uh, it's a little sign to me. Maybe if I can stomach the cash flow strain now, yeah. I mean, hey, who knows over the next few years or a couple years, but mm -hmm. uh, I think hopefully we see the rates come back down. Okay. Yeah. So I guess now that you own your home and you have a rental property. <laughs> so now that you own your home and you mentioned you have a rental property, is that a much bigger allocation than what you have in the stock market? Just by nature of the way things are in Vancouver. By nature. Yeah. It's not what I want. And mm -hmm. that's like, to me, I've always wanted, you know, my stock market to be bigger. Um, yeah. But you're, you nailed it. Like, mm. if I want to have a home here, even rental aside, like, you know, even just my, my current town home is just, the prices are so expensive. Um, if you want a place here, a lot of your money gets tied up there. Mm. So, yeah, technically, you call me a real estate investor. <laughs> More money in real estate than stocks. <laughs> Not what I want, but that, that is how it is. Uh, yeah. But I think percentage-wise, your stocks are probably going to do better than the, well, it's, never really know. The real estate could, in Vancouver can, can go another 50%. Who knows? But That's the thing. Yeah. I have no clue what to expect. Yeah. And it's like I, I juggle with that question all the time because, mm. yeah, with the stock market, at least if history has told us anything, I, I, I kind of know what I can expect yeah. right? based on how to structure my portfolio. The market, real estate market here, I have no clue. Like, mm. it's already so expensive. Can it keep going up? What type of returns could it get? Um, it's just, yeah, it's it's difficult to know. Mm. But Is there... Any individual stocks in your portfolio that you think was a mistake investing in? Yeah. Okay. We can talk about your favorite, your your biggest wins and biggest losses too. Don't worry. Don't worry. We don't have to talk. We can talk okay, about the losses. Sure. It's um no, it's fine. It's always such a good question. But yeah, of course. I over the years had you know obviously stocks that have sucked, and even right now I have stocks in my portfolio that have sucked. Um, I do every once in a while buy some small caps. Oh, you do? Every once in a while. Oh. And, and they, and they all, what happened to the they, McDonald's, the, the Brookfield, the that's TD just, Bank? That's one small side of the story. Caps? What? Well, I, if you let me finish, <laughs> okay. they've always bite me in the butt. They've always burned me. And obviously, I just limit a very uh, small portion. Again, this goes back to the portfolio construction aspect. Yeah, you know, yeah, if I'm yeah. literally allocating a couple percentage points of my entire portfolio there, it's like, 
a couple hundred bucks, five hundred bucks, oh, a thousand okay. bucks. So, so that, that's nothing that's okay. meaningful. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. no, you, and and literally, I think in almost every case, I've like lost buddy. Mm. So it comes to the point where like, why am I even holding this? I mean, the one I have right now, I think SoFi is uh, one of my. Oh, SoFi. Okay. SoFi is one of my duds. Uh, I think mm. they picked up a little bit as of recently, but I'm looking at that in my portfolio. I'm like, why do I own this? Like, this doesn't belong here. But did you buy in 2021? I bought a yeah, probably around 2021. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's when all the all the all the yeah. all the meme stocks are going well. Yeah. So exactly. So down pretty bad on that one. But obviously, the biggest duds in my portfolio are like my Chinese stocks. I'm like super optimistic oh, on okay. on China. Okay. I mean, I'm not trying to say China, but Chinese stocks in particular. Okay. I do actually think. Um, like, are we talking about Alibaba? I own Tencent and Alibaba. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and I even own another one actually called Anta Sports. Mm. I don't know if you know that one. A M P D Y. No. Very lesser known, but they're basically a big athletic athletic mm. wear company. So, okay. Nike of China. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So those are my three uh, Chinese stocks. I've I've held them really since like twenty. Anta Sports I've held since like twenty seventeen. Tencent I've held since mm. twenty seventeen. So quite a while. So I've ridden some like big ups and big downs. Yeah, the Chinese stocks have so volatile. So much volatility. Yeah. Like not for the faint of heart. And that's why I say like when I'm a more you know a hybrid investor, it's like I have a lot of boring stocks, but I also uh -huh. have some quite. To me, that's a quite volatile stock, right? Mm. Not like a a Bitcoin or a small cap, but it, they do move like that, honestly. <laughs> because yeah, I'm down, down pretty bad on those. Um, right. I think down close to 30, 40% right now. Mm. But that's okay. It's, um, yeah, I, I am actually overly, I'm more optimistic than most mm -hmm. on uh, China as a okay. country, as a nation over the next couple decades. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think these companies are, uh, especially Tencent, I really like. Mm. It's a massive, massive company. They they do like a lot of gaming in China, right? They do everything, but yeah, gaming, WeChat, okay. uh, oh, video WeChat. streaming, okay. everything. They do, oh. but they do all gaming as well, like League of okay. Legends, yeah. And do you hold those stocks in kind of like your TFSA? Uh, it depends. It depends okay. on what, uh, that's another thing when it comes to your portfolio, like, you, you know, TFSA, RSP, there are arguments to be made about which stocks should go yeah. where, whether they're dividend stocks, US mm -hmm. paying dividend stocks. Um, for the most part, uh, I don't get too picky about that. Okay. But I, I do typically like to hold my US stocks uh, in the RRSP, for example, like okay. especially if it's a US dividend stock because of the withholding tax. Yeah. You actually get to bypass that. There's a treaty in place. Um, but that said, I'm also completely fine with holding a US dividend stock mm -hmm. in my TFSA. A lot of yeah. people would like say, oh, well, I'm never going to do that because of the withholding tax. Mm. And to me, that's just like, it's not the right approach. Um, it's good to be aware of that type of thing, but like that shouldn't be the reason why you do or don't invest in a company, mm. right? So for example, there's a stock here which is like an amazing US stock yeah. and it pays a dividend. And okay. you're and you're gonna say, I'm not gonna hold that in my TFSA because it pays a dividend. Oh, and because there's no, a bit no, of that, that's, that's, that's the wrong, you're, yeah. lo you're looking at the wrong way because if that's a stock that's gonna be a 10Xer for you, yeah. who cares if there's 15% withheld mm. on the dividend? You, you know what I'm saying? So it's Makes it's sense. it's not like a law, um, mm -hmm. but there is preferential placement of, of where you put them. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I think I own the stocks in my RSP. What are some of your biggest wins as a investment? I guess any individual stocks that you think you did like the best on? It's a good question. And it's probably a very different answer from a lot of your guests and mm. even you, because it's unlike a trade where you can say, hey, I made this much or I profited this much, yeah. like I entered and exited. I mean, some of my biggest wins, if you look at my portfolio, like I think Apple's up like 300 something percent. Oh, wow. Uh, Amazon's up quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And that's not like from anything special. That's just from holding it yeah, for a long enough time. Holding, just literally right? buying it and holding it for a long enough time. Uh. So it's not, um, and those are unrealized gains too. Like I, in theory, if those companies go bust tomorrow, they're gone. 
True. So they've done well, and it's kind of like that snowball effect. Mm -hmm. uh, and to me as an investor, it's like, I'm not trying to go for wins uh, over the short term. Like a real win would be 20 years from now, I look at my portfolio and everything's just snowballed into something so much bigger. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a really delayed gratification type thing. But yeah, I don't even classify like uh, the word win like like a trader would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, so they're not, not realized. Not not realized, oh. and it's also not fast and exciting. In fact, mm -hmm. it's quite the opposite. It's quite slow. Mm. Um, some people can you know do options or they can go pick a good stock and make yeah. three hundred percent really fast. Mm -hmm. It's taken me years to make three hundred percent on such and such stock, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So it's nothing really to be too excited about. But I do believe that I'm on the right track and I'm doing what I what I'm supposed to do. Um, and over the next 20 years, I'll be able to look back and say, okay, well, that was a big, that was a big win that I bought the stock early enough and, and held it. So since you have a lot of experience working with investors of all different ages, mm -hmm. how would you recommend someone to invest in their 20s, 30s versus much later on, let's say in 40s and 50s? From an investing standpoint? Mm -hmm, yeah. Well, I think in terms of the actual investments, that's very you know, whether it's ETFs, whether it's stocks, that's more preferential, right? Mm. That's like a personal preference. Do you want to be hands off and passive or do you want to yeah. be more active and involved? So mm. that's like based on the individual person. But yeah. if you're going to break it up between different age groups, I think the better question to ask is like, you're like risk, like how much risk are you willing to take? Yeah. What's your allocation going to be? Mm. How are you going to structure the portfolio and what types of investments will you pick? Like yeah. on the more growth side or on the more conservative side? Um, probably what you'd expect. I mean, in your 20s, why not go for all all out growth? Pretty much, <laughs> right. I, I say all out growth, not uh -huh. like reckless, stupid, you know, meme stock growth. Why? Um, why not? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> you, you could. I guess, I guess in your twenties, go for it. <laughs> you don't have, probably don't have that much money, anyways. But um, to me, sure, you could do the meme stocks. I mm -hmm. still think it's like start that base for your future um, with right. a good portfolio, yeah. um, something diversified, like uh, obviously an index fund or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you can honestly leave that for quite some time, like up until even your mid midlife, mm. 20s, 30s, 40s, 40s, maybe when you're kind of like really kicking life into gear, like kids, family, mortgage, mm -hmm. um, you need a bit more security. You could start to kind of maybe take some growth off the table mm -hmm. and go for a little bit more balance, like whether that's with like some fixed income cash or bonds or even just something more like income focused. Okay, like dividends. Yeah, dividends. Yeah, uh -huh. for sure, dividends. Okay. Um, and then it's really when you're like starting to approach retirement or whenever you're going to stop working that that's when the real big shift has to come, mm -hmm. right? Because you've been growing your portfolio all these years and decades. Now you have this big pool. It's like, let's structure that for A, so we don't lose it and B, mm -hmm. so that we can spin off income like every month uh, typically if you're actually going to stop working mm -hmm. and that's when i guess you could get you know more more conservative but so hard to put a blanket answer there because like right we worked you know in our in our past we worked with people 60 70 who are like quite aggressive mm -hmm. and quite um they wanted to own the tech they wanted to own everything and then oh. you have young kids who are like just super uh scared of things and they just <laughs> not put their money in a growth right. area we weirdly enough but i guess that is like kind of a blanket uh, transition but so I've heard some people who have a sizable investment portfolio in stocks. Um, what they do is they eventually they borrow against the investment. So that works well. Well, I would imagine. I want to hear your thoughts in a lower interest rate environment where their investment keep on growing and mm -hmm. they pay the, the interest and they just take out whatever is borrowed and live on the borrowed the loan, essentially. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? And what kind of people would you recommend that for? Mm. 
No, I think that's a very fair consideration. And yeah, mm. I think it would certainly be more favorable in a low interest rate environment than not yeah. because just borrowing costs. But um, yeah, that's something that actually I don't have a whole bunch of experience. Mm. That particular strategy, um, I can't say I've had experience working with that. Mm. Uh, I mean, logically, what you said could make sense. Because um, if you sell, yeah. you get taxed, right? Right. And if you borrow against it, you're only paying the interest rate. Mm -hmm. So hypothetically speaking, if you believe in those investments will keep on going, even after I've, I'm ready to retire, mm -hmm. they, they can keep going. I don't want to like miss out another 20, 30, 50% mm -hmm. when I'm retired. Mm -hmm. Let's say, you know, and then if I still have to pay, you know, a lot of tax, mm -hmm. right? So. No, it's yeah. a fair thought. I, I wish I had more to contribute there, but. Maybe I'll ask you with dad. Yeah. And see what he thinks. I feel like he'd have a good answer yeah. for that. Yeah. These yeah. are really interesting Because there's only a couple of things certain in life, death and taxes. Right. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. So let's talk about your YouTube channel now. You have now over 200,000 subscribers mm -hmm. now, right? I remember that, yeah. When I first started my YouTube channel, I was like, oh, there's not a lot of other finance YouTubers in Canada. You were one of the only ones. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you to, because you were in the traditional finance space, being an advisor, working in wealth management. What made you decide to kind of pivot? Because you, am I right? Like yeah, you eventually right. quit, right? right? Being an advisor. What made you decide to do such a big jump? Well, I mean, first of all, I've always loved video creation, which is yeah. one thing, right? If I didn't like that and like, then yeah, YouTube would be probably not for me. Mm -hmm. But I think the honest answer was like, as a 20 year old working at my dad's firm, I didn't like like talking to the old, to the old people. Like, <laughs> to the okay, wise, sorry, old people. To the wise Experience, people. wisdom, yeah, yeah, call it what you want. <laughs> okay. But, uh, and like, don't get me wrong, they were like the nicest people. Like his clients mm. were like, just like literally like the nicest families, but it's, I'm just like, why do I like I'm like a 20 year old I want to like play mm. video games do all this other stuff I'm like I yeah. don't want to be doing this but I did think the, the information was valuable mm -hmm. and that's why I thought well YouTube is this platform where I can then broadcast that out to like however many people mm -hmm. and I saw people having early success on YouTube again mainly in the states so I'm like why don't I try to do this take the Canadian focus mm -hmm. um, kind of try and capture that market and um, yeah that's kind of the the reasoning why I started it mm. uh, it was just I guess as a millennial yeah, I'm, I think I'm like right at the end of a millennial. I'm not quite a Gen Z, but like I'm, I'm still a very yeah. millennial. But it was just more my nature to like do something digital. Mm. And again, like you think about it not long ago, like like this whole influencer, finfluencer space like wasn't really a thing, yeah. right? It got really big, like 2019, 2020, I think. Like literally, and now yeah. it's like a legit thing. And yeah. there's so many people that are just want to do this and it's like careers and everything. But at the time there was like, I kind of had a feeling there would be an idea like this, uh -huh. like a space like this, but also not entirely sure. I saw like, just like the start of it with some other people uh, in mm -hmm. the States. So I was like, oh, doesn't hurt to try. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, committed to it and just, you know, five or six years later, like we're still here. So, yeah. so, so far so good. Okay. Was it difficult telling your dad that you had to quit? Or that you wanted to quit? Nah. It wasn't. That my dad's too nice. Yeah, I don't know. If oh you my, my dad. god! Oh, Mark. He's too, he's too nice. He, he's like too nice. I tell him he's too nice. He, he didn't be, like he make little... you stay. No, he um uh. he at first he was super like I mean typical um you know older you know baby boomers like oh I don't know like what you mm. do like you know the typical stuff but once he started seeing the traction and uh, the revenue the money started making after a little yeah. while it just became more and more real. It's like oh well maybe there is an opportunity. Uh, 
here. Mm. Um, so yeah, but never anything but supportive. Like I said, his, his goal would have been for me to take over the firm, mm-hmm. but I made it very clear to him very on. I'm like, I don't think this is what I want to do. Mm. Like sitting in an office, like you'll never catch me in a suit and tie. Like yeah. this is not a thing. I'm, you probably, you, this is I like, always see you in a t-shirt and well, you, you guys cannot see this, but he's literally wearing Crocs. It's this same t-shirt. <laughs> so like, I have two t-shirts. I have, they're from Lululemon. So I have this one and then the, my gray one. Uh-huh. And I kind of cycle between them. I hope you wash them. Every once in a while. Every once <laughs> Did you wash that shirt yesterday? No wonder it smells. It smells fine though. <laughs> <laughs> it smells fine. Okay. But yeah. So but that, you, that corporate yeah. life was just not, that, like that whole corporate, and it's not that it was a big corporate business. Mm-hmm. It was a very cool family office, but it just still wasn't uh, entirely for me. And I just mm-hmm. thought, well, maybe YouTube is a pathway more up my alley. Yeah. It's kind of the... Okay. Yeah, but if you kind of think about the two different career paths in terms of the impact you could have Mm -hmm. and the value you bring, Mm -hmm. yes, you bring a lot of value working in the firm, but we're talking about like 20, 50 clients. On YouTube, you can reach millions. And so I think if we're, we're talking about like you know how much value you can bring to society in that aspect, you 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 definitely do uh, you can reach way more people and educate people about investing. All the Canadians, U.S. Americans about investing in much better way as a YouTube channel, doing like, a YouTube channel. You literally nailed it. Yeah, yeah. that's like big facts. Um, so is your dad proud of you now? Well, he I'm works pr- with pr- you. I'm proud of him, yeah. So You're he works, proud of him. I'm more proud of him for you know, an older guy that's gone uh-huh. on to YouTube because, yeah, basically, like, long story short, I mean, t- it, it actually became full circle. I said, mm. like, think about this. You know, I was kind of like, he was like my mentor, and I learned from him, and I was yeah. working for him. He was my boss. Yeah. Like, literally, my boss paid me and uh-huh. you know, got in trouble, all this stuff. And I ended up branching off to go to YouTube. Yeah. And then I, rec- <laughs> I recruited him to come to YouTube, and he ended up selling uh. his, he, so- he sold his firm in 2021. Oh, he, he sold it. He retired, yeah. So he basically oh, retired from the traditional I life see. to do YouTube because, uh, so yeah, it came full circle. And now he works with me. So I'm, I'm actually extremely. I know he's proud of me, but I'm extremely proud of him for oh. adapting to change and, yeah. and and just taking on a new project at that time. Like, yeah. and yeah, it's for a good reason. Like, it's mm-hmm. making an impact. And I think yeah. that's what really drives him. Like, he just genuinely wants to help people, and he can help so many more people. So um, yeah, it's just a funny dynamic how that worked. But basically, how it works, like with the whole compliance and like regulations mm-hmm. here in Canada, it's quite weird. Oh. Like when you are a financial advisor, like for example, when I was 20 and I, when I was working for my dad with Manulife, so Manulife was kind of like the back end. Okay. You know, we use Manulife. Yeah. I could not make a YouTube video oh. or a tweet or a Facebook post. Like I couldn't say anything about investing online without getting their compliance approval on it. And like, you know how slow these people move, they're like dinosaurs, oh. it's like send something in, it's like a week later, like, Oh, revise it. Like it was ridiculous. So was were all your videos compliance approved? Well, for the first four years, for the first few years that I worked with my dad, I wasn't doing YouTube. I was genuinely just doing oh, this. Like okay. I was like, oh, I want to do something else. I have a plan to do yeah, something yeah. else. But yeah, like right when I started working for him, I didn't do YouTube. I also didn't know enough. Like I wanted to learn uh, at least a few years under his under his like um, okay. um, guidance, right? Because the coursework it gives you so far, but like you you learn from actually like working with the clients and like managing the portfolios. But did you have to give up your license to make you two? So that, that's exactly it. Oh, so that's wow. what I'm saying. So I made a pretty, it was a pretty pivotal point where like after a couple years of working for him, yeah. I'm like, I want to start this YouTube thing. I want to give it a try. Yeah. And I had to give up, like literally it's called surrendering your license. You want, oh. you have to surrender your license to go 
even make a YouTube video. To even which tweet is, it's on Twitter. To, to literally make a tweet. <laughs> and I'm thinking it's it's ironic because yeah. I understand it. Because like, let's say, for example, like we were licensed with Manulife. And let's, so I, let's say I go say a bunch of stupid stuff. Like, go buy this, go do this, go mm-hmm. buy Dogecoin, whatever it is. And then people get mad. It could reflect bad on Manulife if I'm like a registered representative for Manulife. That's why they oh. need compliance approval, right? So if they're the firm, if Manulife is here, they want to know all their advisors are you know doing what they they're not doing anything out of line so that's why if you want to have like a you know extra activity or yeah. actually called an oba you need to get their basically their okay on it and everything pass through compliance so yes i had to basically make a choice and say mm. i've done all the studying i've been working here but yeah. i want to try and pursue youtube i sacrificed like surrendered my license could create whatever i want yeah and then like i said in 2021 my dad decided to do the same thing because he just so he also surrendered yeah well he sold his business surrendered his license exactly so when people ask you are you licensed advisor right now i'm not i was (laughs) but you were i was but in order to make youtube videos we had to give it up it would it would not work is that a manual life specific no 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 that's everywhere that's really because i'm pretty sure there are some other license yeah well in the states if you're looking at the states states is different because i I mean i had a million conversations on this we talked with everyone Uh we had to but yeah in the u.s in the u.s it's very different it depends on how yeah it depends on how the firm is structured and who's overseeing it but um yeah they're they're very very picky wait Um, but how does that channel the bagel guy Plain bagel. Yeah, he's licensed. How does he make YouTube videos? Uh, they they get approved by compliance, I'm sure. So that's what oh. I'm saying. You can get them. Let's assume I wanted to make a video. I could. I, I still made videos actually when I was with my dad, but I sent them to compliance. I waited two weeks. They said two this weeks. is good to post, and then I posted it. And that's what I'm saying. If you look at like Plain Bagel Richard, who's like freaking awesome, uh-huh. he doesn't post videos every day. He's not posting stories and shorts. He's like uh-huh. posting like video probably every month which I'm going to assume he got vetted by his oh, compliance team. Oh, I see. So it, it's doable, but it's like, if you're going to be a full-time content creator, it's unrealistic. See, this is why you should be a trader. You don't have to be licensed to be a trader. There you go. Yeah. Well, maybe in another yeah. life. Yeah, a lot of people ask me, oh, do you have like a finance background? What, is there any education in college that will help with trading? No. If you're trading, swing trading, technicals, momentum, or doesn't, like, those I'm sure it helps, but you really don't need any. You learn from the streets. Background. You learn from doing you it. Learn you learn from the streets. Literally, and the streets are rough. Right? I can imagine. <laughs> I, that's why I don't. There's blood on I the streets. I don't go to those streets. I don't like those streets whatsoever. Stay away. So I know your channel mostly talk about investing, but do you have viewers who also trade? And like, what are some of the biggest misconceptions? you see from your viewers when they are like first approaching a market and mixing trading with investing? Mm, it's tough to say, like I don't have a really good pulse on what percentage of them do trade and don't mm-hmm. trade. Of course there are. Yeah. I would say actually more commonly what I do know is that a lot of people come to us and they've tried trading first and it hasn't oh. worked out and then they are saying, well now I want to learn how to invest. Okay. So I'm okay. sure that, like I said, I'm sure there's a lot that are doing both, uh-huh. but more commonly what I see is, oh, I tried trading. I didn't know what I was doing, lost some money, yada, yada, yada. But mm-hmm. now I'm looking to structure something for, for the long term. Mm. And that's actually like a big part of my audience. Oh, okay. Um, so they have dabbled before, even dabbled more so than I have. Yeah. But for whatever reason, maybe they didn't have a good experience. Maybe they mm. lost money. Um, maybe they didn't want to commit the time that it took to be a, a successful trader. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't work with their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They then say, you know what, I'm just gonna like give up and just try just okay. park my money into long term investments. Oh, interesting. Yeah. For me, it's like if I 
I also started out with like swing trading or like trading around. I thought I was investing. Mm. So I was that confused trader slash investor. Yeah. But if I didn't trade, then I wouldn't have had the capital to invest. Like <laughs> investing with a thousand dollars, it's not like oh, we're talking about a hundred dollars, you know, maybe, you know, a month, then eventually you have a thousand dollars to invest. That's tough. Like yeah. you, I, you, that's why I think it's, that's the reason I feel like if you have a little amount of money, I'm not saying you should trade, but I'm just saying you should use that to, to invest in something like a skill or education that can help you make more money. Then mm. you have something substantial to invest with. Mm. Yeah. Cause I'm just thinking like, I didn't really invest until I kind of started having like more steady income from trading at my job. Mm. Yeah. Cause otherwise it would be like $10 a, a, a month. I, I can agree yeah. with that. I, I can agree with that. I guess I'd spin it back on you and say like, for what about for a lot of the people that maybe don't have the opportunity to like, maybe they don't have the time or they have a family mm -hmm. and they're just like, like being an entrepreneur or like doing the side hustles, like not, not a thing. Like it's mm. just, that's not happening. Mm. Should those people then not invest? Or is it still like the best option they have? Because I would assume also trading would be, take a lot of time to learn and yeah. a lot of commitment. Yeah. To me, it's like, even if I do totally 100% agree with you that mm. if I had a smaller amount of money and I was like young and 20, if I was like in my late teens, like rather than just saying, oh, well, I'm just going to park it all away. Like I would try to learn a skill and try to yeah. make more money. That's actually what I would personally do. So I 100% agree with that. Mm. But there is a big, big portion of the population which like maybe that's just not in their personality type to do or yeah. the situation because mm -hmm. they have family or work or constraints. Um, and for those people, Hey, maybe they want to learn trading, um, in their spare time. But if they don't want to do that, I do think like resorting to investing, even with smaller amounts, mm -hmm. it does make a difference yeah. over the years compounding. And obviously difference is like different people need different money when they get yeah. older. Right. So for us, we may be striving for such and such amount for this person. They may be striving for this amount for this person. Maybe even $400,000 at retirement would be like mm. a huge boost. Yeah. Um, so even the smaller amounts, they can go a long way when you do compound that long enough uh, over long enough times. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think it's that's my approach, at least. OK, makes sense. Yeah. No, I don't think there's right or wrong. Answer. That's, I that's think it's true, just true. up to everyone's own. Exactly. Preference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know some people who <laughs> take that one thousand dollars and go to the casino. Right. Yeah. There you so go. it's like, which one's better? Probably investing that is better. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I know we talked about earlier that when you first started YouTube, there wasn't a lot of investing information online. Mm. Nowadays, it's almost like there's too, too much, much information. Right. So whether you're a trader or investor, like for, for you, you will have investors coming to you. They get overwhelmed with like where to start, you know, where to start building their wealth. Where would you recommend people to start investing and how? Well, geez. And like, I guess people want some simple step-by-step -step process. Some simple step-by-step -step process. Yeah. Well, I think you're exactly right. There's like way too many things nowadays, which yeah. I think is a blessing and a curse because in my opinion, now you have so many options to choose from, right? Yeah. I think it's a good, it's a good thing. Like, I, I think even between you and I, we have different investment styles, we have different mm -hmm. personalities, different people resonate with, with different people. Yeah. And to me, if I was like a first time investor, I would want to find some I would want to find some creators because they're the most enjoyable to watch. Mm -hmm. They may not know everything the best as an expert, okay. but yeah. they're still enjoyable. And that's like step one in terms of like getting yourself into the, into the space or right? you got to start hearing the lingo and just getting yourself engaged mm -hmm. uh, in the field. So I think the fact that there are a lot of different creators and a lot of blogs and news sources out there, like if you can find somebody that you a trust 
and hopefully they have you know experience like someone who's been mm. through it and they're transparent uh, i think it's a good idea to start at least listening to them not saying mm. blindly follow what they say yeah you know listen to them for a while and, and get a sense and just kind of start to pick up little things here and there and i mean that's to me youtube is a really cool place where like even amongst like us creators there's there's like a million there's like so many just yeah, pick and choose so who many. you like yeah, like yeah. oh i like this from this guy i like this from this guy yeah to me it'd be so fun to just be like listening like if i do understand it's overwhelming and um i guess some people do make it is com quite complex especially mm -hmm. when it comes to like certain areas of the stock market but uh, there's a ton of beginner resources out there and channels to follow mm -hmm. um yeah there's this because they don't teach investing in school no yeah no yeah, I remember Googling how to dollar cost average. Right. What is that? Right. How to buy a stock. Yeah. Yeah. That's like everybody, right? Uh -huh. Unless you have maybe friends or family that really encourage you or help you. It's just like you, you hear that all the time with everybody. Yeah. And then you see a lot of people out like on the streets. You meet friends, you're going out. Like a lot of them just don't invest. How many I, people do you see on the streets? Every day, lots of people on the streets. Yeah, depending <laughs> on what street it is. Busy, yeah. There's some busy streets, but I guess I'm, uh, like I'm saying one or out with, let's say, a friend or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, still a lot of people in my age group, they just don't invest. Like it's yeah. just not, it's just foreign to them. It's yeah. just not a consideration. Mm -hmm. Trade or invest. Mm -hmm. um, it's just different, like... It's crazy, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just getting yourself initially uh, exposed to the... To the area somehow i think that's mm -hmm. that's step number one yeah i have so many friends they're like oh yeah i contributed to my tfsa or rsp i'm like, okay what's in it like, i don't know it's just in my rbc tfsa account cash. So it's in cash. <laughs> cash so it's like i think you know people need to know it's good that they're putting money away but they need to put it to work mm -hmm. too yeah 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 and it starts with the education right like it starts mm -hmm. with if you it's not their fault that they don't know like you mm -hmm. said it's not not taught in the households, not taught in the schools. Mm -hmm. You have to like actively go out of your way to learn it. And then mm -hmm. it's also for a lot of people, not like a necessarily exciting field unless yeah. you're like a dork yeah. or a nerd. But I think that's where um, like uh, on YouTube, the finance influencers make it fun to Try start to, right? learning about investing. I think so. Yeah. I think that's definitely a bridge. It's starting to bridge it, right? Yeah. It's better than like, you know, sitting in front of a lecture hall or like some guy going to a PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that would certainly be very, very dry. Uh -huh. So yeah, yeah. They, I think, I mean, even think about the content you produce is like, it's fun, right? It's, 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 I try. It's, it's, look at your shirt. It's so kind of fun, 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 you know? It's like, you know? This is like my best investment of the summer. Nice. $20. Everyone loves it. I love it. It pops up in front of the cameras. And, um, perfect. If people are interested in seeing what you're investing, like, let's see, for me, yeah. I want to know what kind of stocks you're invested in. Where can we go see your investment portfolio? Well, that's funny because this was actually one of the things like when I was younger, mm -hmm. I always like that was something I actually wanted. Yeah. Like I remember like being in my dad's office and I'm like, I wonder what this person's investing. In. I wonder what this person's investing in. yeah. just to get an idea, like just to see. And I was, I'm thinking of like random people, like kind of almost like celebrities, so to speak, like, mm. you know, oh, I wonder what whoever there was. I forget who it was at the time. And obviously it's like you can't find that. Um, there is a very cool platform, which I'm very, very happy and lucky to be involved with. I know you're very well aware of them, but yeah. Blossom is a app. It's called Blossom Social in the App Store. Mm -hmm. Completely free. Just past 40,000 users like this Yay! week. So it's uh, like it's blowing up um, mm -hmm. and it's kind of almost exactly what you said. Um, it's I guess like, yeah, technology is changing so fast. Like the, the investment space is just 
like evolving really mm -hmm. and now there's this whole movement of social investing which has been popular in the the states and mm -hmm. actually other areas of the world but here in Canada we haven't really had anything like that mm. so uh, there's nothing in Canada like a social investing platform but it's exactly what you said like it's a platform where people can voluntarily share what they're holding what they're buying mm. what they're selling uh, I'm on there you can literally see every single holding like you can look at my portfolio the percentages you can't see the dollar figures yeah because that is a little bit invasive and I think a lot of people probably wouldn't want to share mm. their dollar figures but you see a percentage you can see right? the percentages yeah. exactly so my largest yeah. position is this Tencent yeah. Google Apple whatever it is um, and for example I made that purchase uh, Brookfield yesterday Oh. It shows up, right? So it's okay. traded this 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 price, increased position by this much. Yeah. And there's obviously that's just one of the functionalities of it. But yeah, there's Blossom Social is a big big part of what mm. I'm focused on now, what I'm doing, and I think it's just uh, genuinely a very very good product for the for the Canadian market. Yeah, in my opinion. I'm on there too. Yes. Um, like I think if you see my portfolio, you probably see Apple is now my biggest weighting. I think it's like crazy. twenty percent. Yeah, I was like, oh, I need to. Well, I don't think I'm gonna sell it. Yeah, but it just. Well, my dad just sold it. We actually just had not you all, sold not, Apple. Not all, not all of it. Okay. He, he trimmed it. So oh, okay. we just filmed the collab. Like literally before this video, we filmed oh. the video, and he um he trimmed from Microsoft and Apple. Okay. Just to take some profits off the table mm. and, and get it back into that range. So it's kind of like your portfolio. Yeah. If, if it's out, if it's beyond what you want your position size to be. Doesn't no, mean, doesn't mean it's not beyond. You want I need to, to go to the moon. There you go. Then, <laughs> then, then buy more. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to borrow against it. Well, we'll see how that works. But Finger, yeah. Fingers crossed for you. Yeah. But yeah, check out Blossom, everyone. If you're in Canada, Blossom Social. Yeah. Just for Canadians. Yeah, I'm on there. Brandon's on there. You can follow us and maybe other investors that Lots you're interested in. Lot, yeah. Not maybe. There are a lot of other investors. So mm -hmm. there's yeah, 40,000 people. And like, like when I started it, a year ago or so like i think it was just about a year year ago when i joined these guys like kind of mm. met them and you know started working with them i think there was like 250 users so it's a pretty oh, wow. fast growth curve yeah. in just a year's time yeah so yeah there are certainly more investors than just you and i to follow mm -hmm. um you can follow your friends you can follow family yeah and some pretty key like uh influencers here in canada as well yeah yeah so blossom social is actually one of my investments yeah. so it's me too Oh, you too? Let's go. Wow, <laughs> high five. <laughs> to the moon. <laughs> so cringe. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, it's one of my, well, I wouldn't, it's not like a stock portfolio, but Blossom Social is definitely one of my bigger individual investments as well. So I, I fully believe in what we're trying to do in the app mm -hmm. and the platform. Eventually mm -hmm. it's going to become a brokerage. And I think that's like the next step for Canadian investing. It very much is, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's only so many um, in Canada. Like, it's it's limited the the options we have. Like, yeah. well, simple is just doing such a good job, mm -hmm. um, especially to the beginner market. Like, they've they've crushed it. But beyond that, mm -hmm. at least on the long term and like you know low cost investing sphere, there's like Quest Trade's kind of like you know it's Quest Trade. <laughs> um, you got the big banks, <laughs> obviously. Some shade here. I mean, you know, like it's it's, it's Quest Trade. Uh -huh. uh, I use Quest Trade uh, yeah. to be, to I be use clear. I use it too for investing. I use Quest Trade yeah. and TD, but um, I mean more so from the innovation standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they're great brokerages for what they are. Yeah. Um, but when you think about like this new generation of people that are like on their phones and they're young and they're like wanting to be, you know, more hip and like mm -hmm. young. Um, those platforms like aren't quite, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting old, so. You're younger than me. Well, no, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
I got in trouble. I was so at there at you our get in tr- trouble? at our Toronto and Montreal event. Like, what did you do? I just told like I said something about someone being old in the crowd. I was like, oh, you know, I was listening <laughs> to this old guy, and then and the whole crowd just like looking at me funny, like, no, you don't say that. I was like, oh, sorry, sorry. You gotta say wise. That's I gotta I gotta change yeah, you my. Gotta say wise. So you're you're wiser than me. Yes, I'm wiser than you. Yes. Well, I I I try. So you are keeping quite busy now with your YouTube channel and with Blossom. Mm. Uh, what are some other aspects of your life that has kept you busy recently? I'm very busy. Every day is busy, busy day. So yeah. um, I'm trying to stay extremely active right now. Like I go through these phases. I get really like overweight and then I'm like, hey, I got to <laughs> lose some weight and then I get out of the way. It ebbs and flows like the stock market. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm very active with my physical activity. And then beyond that, I also had a daughter. Um, mm. So she's one and a half now. And as you can imagine, that's also a big uh, time filler for sure of yeah the calendar. energy filler energy well. filler mental yeah. filler uh just yeah a big 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 part of life but oh. but yeah so it's, it's very busy very busy days typically do you think since having her has has you know that changed the way you invest or your approach to investing now that you have you know another human being yeah you know, a very little one that you have to take care of for the long term yeah yeah it does i mean i will i wouldn't say it changed my investing strategy so to speak uh-huh. but it solidified it made it that much more important so yeah. i mean obviously we did set up like an resp and like we're starting to think about her her future and that so she's still so early like we still have many many years to uh-huh. worry about uh you know schooling and all that but we did put up a little resp we put like 50 bucks a month or something mm-hmm. small so that changed from that standpoint but yeah i think you're right it's just like everything becomes that much more real you know up until this point it's i was investing for the sake of investing and investing to grow my money and it's like mm-hmm. yeah money's good da, 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 da. but now there's like real life constant there's real repercussions at the end yeah. of things whether it's like the mortgage needs to be paid we need a place to live or mm. we need money for food or she's gonna need this such and such money to go do this down yeah. the road now there's like a more meaningful purpose to do it yeah so yeah investments haven't changed but i guess the reason for them has like certainly changed yeah. and really solidified yeah you might be uh, investing for her college tuition that's the goal if she wants to go to school yeah oh. maybe a down payment down the road yeah yeah we have these conversations i mean yeah it's like we're thinking a down payment it's kind of like that thing you know family so you'll ask your parents for the money for the down payment yeah, yeah. it's kind of um tacky but it's like i want to be in a position to do that for her mm. um because it does help you out uh, tremendously for like sure. it's yeah if you have the family resources it's like it's such an interesting like Western culture belief to like, oh, go out, be on your own, be independent. And that's what I did. And it, uh-huh. it worked for me because I moved out when I was super young because I wanted to go, like I wanted to be independent and mm. I wanted to go start paying rent and learn all this stuff. Yeah. But it's also nice to be in a position where, and a lot of other cultures, like it's normal to like be with family and support mm. family and live with family. I'm yeah. sure you know that, right? Mm. It's like quite strange to just go move out. Yeah. So regardless of what, you know, how things end up being over the next 20 years, we want to be in a position where, you know, how does she need money or whatever it's for, um, we'll be able to provide that. Mm. So yeah, maybe it's college, maybe it's a home, maybe it's a, we'll see. Could be anything. Maybe 20 years from now, it's like, some crazy VR virtual world. I don't know. Yeah. We, we don't know. Oh, in living the metaverse. Right, I'll get her some metaverse down payments or something. That'll be like crazy. Brendan, when can everyone find you if they want to follow you on social media or follow your stocks? Uh, mainly, Instagram, YouTube, 
and then Blossom. Download the Blossom app. Mm-hmm. But of course, as I'm sure you know, watch out for the scammers. Yeah. Watch out for the imposters. Yeah. Because I have to start telling, like, anytime a friend of mine follows me these days, yeah. I have to, like, pre-warn them, like, hey, you're going to get a someone is not going to be me. Yeah, you're so, going to yeah. get five other people yeah. messaging you. Exactly. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are aware of that now. But, yeah, Instagram's probably where I'm most active even though it's like youtube's kind of the hub yeah so if you like want to learn and watch more mm-hmm. of our content learn more about what we do yeah. go check there but instagram's more like i'm in the dms and i'm more making stories mm. and stuff and okay. then obviously on blossom i'm there every day scanning the app and whatnot okay <laughs> thanks for having me on that's um really really nice of you so that was our special interview with brandon beavis a stock market investor as a trader i always enjoy exchanging experiences with people in other areas of expertise whether that's investing swing trading or options trading so what do you think who else should i bring on the humble traders podcast comment down below if you have any recommendations and if you want to learn more about my personal investing strategies then you can find out more from this video over here